Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great educational website? Then go to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll free of charge. Get a free class 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll. Look, I've got awesome classes there. Classes on the Constitution, classes on the Civil War, classes on secession, classes on American history. A whole slew of great stuff just waiting for you. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com, enroll, and get a real history education. Does Joe Biden have the authority to unilaterally raise the debt limit? We'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to The Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter. Like my Facebook page and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. You can support the show, of course, by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. You've already heard about that. But you can also go to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. Can throw a few pennies my way. You can go to YouTube and click on the super thanks button under the video. Throw a few pennies my way that way. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you love it. Give it that five-star review. Leave a text review wherever you can. That helps get more eyes and ears on the show. And send me those show requests. I do want to read what you want to hear. All right. Well, let's talk about this issue of the debt ceiling, the debt limit. We've got that hard deadline coming up in just a couple of weeks. Essentially, June is when it said the United States government is going to default on its payments. Now, as has been pointed out before, uh, this has happened in U.S. history. I mean, it's not unprecedented for the United States government to default on a certain amount of payments. We haven't seen a situation like this where the debt ceiling is reached and they can't borrow any more money. And what this, I think, is going to do, maybe in some ways, is force Americans to consider how the United States government pays its bills. It does so by borrowing money. It borrows money constantly, or it prints money. It just prints it, and there's been some discussion about that. There's been a, uh, a proposal to mint the $1 trillion coin and just say, here you go, here's a trillion dollars. We're going to pay down the debt that way. Uh, I mean, this is we're, we're in uncharted territory with that kind of thing, and it's easy money and printing money. In the United States, and other countries have done this. They've tried to print their way out of, de- out of debt or default. I don't know how that's going to shake out. I mean, the United States government could do that. They could just mint the, million, the, the trillion dollar coin and, and potentially solve the problem, at least theoretically. But that would create inflation. And we're already seeing what that's doing in the United States economy now, even though inflation is cooled just a little bit because the Fed has jacked up interest rates. But, of course, before when the Fed could do that in the 70s, They didn't have the amount of outstanding debt the United States government has right now. And so that's created another problem in in and of itself. So I want to talk about this in historical context, though, in this issue of the president unilaterally doing this. And also, what did the founding generation think about debt? And of course, uh, when you look at the, uh, not just the founding generation, but the next couple of generations. And more importantly, what did the Jeffersonians think about debt? Because you see... What's happening in America right now is really another constitutional crisis. That's all this is. 
If we go back and look at all of the major issues in American history that we've seen, they're all constitutional crisis. Even the war in the 1860s was a constitutional crisis. We can put all the other issues into it. We can talk about, well, the United States government right now is a spending problem, and it does. It doesn't really have a revenue problem. They get a lot of money in taxes, and people willingly pay taxes. I mean, this is what happens. Everyone does it. Uh, so they don't really have a revenue problem. They have a spending problem, and that is a major issue. And of course, the Republicans are saying that you know, we're going to hold the line on spending. Don't believe it, because they want to spend money on whatever they want to spend money on, just not what the Democrats want to spend it on. I think their proposal has things, uh, you know, uh, taking cuts to things like uh, student loans and other stuff like that, whereas the Democrats would cut military spending, and the Republicans think that's sacrosanct. So we have two parties that are interested in the warfare state. They want to spend, the Democrats want to spend the money on butter and also guns at times, particularly when it comes to Ukraine, and the Republicans want to spend it on guns, not so much on butter, but just guns. And so we've got two different groups of people that want to spend tremendous amounts of taxpayer dollars, and or you could say, uh, you know, printed dollars on uh, government programs. Look, John Randolph of Roanoke pointed out in the early 19th century that the military was just another form of welfare. I mean, because you you were paying people to go into the military. And we've done that, right? We've also got people in the military now who are not only being paid by the United States Army or Navy or whatever service branch they're in, but also they have to be on welfare because they don't make enough uh, to try to support themselves on the salary they get for the United States Army. So some of these people are on, are on welfare. They're on public assistance outside of that. So uh, this is a, a massive social welfare system that we've created with the United States military. It's the same thing on the other side with the Democrats. Just nobody recognizes the United States military as that because, of course, they're working for that money. So uh, we see it as you know a jobs program in some ways. Well, what's the difference in some other federal jobs program? Uh, these other federal jobs programs, there's no, there's nothing, you know, nothing can harm you. You're not going into a combat zone, but you still are making money off the federal government. We've got, I mean, this is what I've said before. Until you can cut the cash drip, and the states are as bad at this as anything else. And um, there was just an article I saw the other day about, uh, you know, it was a conservative website in the state of Alabama published an article about how much money the state of Alabama receives because of the military, you see? And you've got the conservatives, quote-unquote, in Alabama continually hammering for more federal money into Alabama in the military-industrial complex. It has produced a lot of money for the state of Alabama. And unless the states, even conservative states, are willing to cut that cash strip, you're not going to see anything change with federal spending. You're just going to see battles about who can spend what. Now, to the Republican uh, side, they actually have a more constitutional, um, more constitutional authority for this kind of spending because the United States Constitution authorizes the federal government to spend money on defense. So their spending is more constitutionally justified than, say, on the left because they have to use uh, a very loose construction of the Constitution to get spending on social welfare programs, which really should be at the... Uh, at the uh, state level and nowhere else. 
So we've got a constitutional crisis there as well. The Republicans have a little better constitutional basis than the Democrats when it comes to spending, but both want to spend a tremendous amount of money. And so this gets back into the debt. How much money can the United States government absorb, and what about spending? I would say the Republicans really aren't a Jeffersonian party. They might be saying things in a Jeffersonian way, well, we want to cut spending here and there, but really they're Hamiltonians. They just don't like the way that the general government is spending the money on the programs it's spending it on, but they're not, they're not against spending money. And this has really been the case since the 1930s. And someone asked me on social media, on Twitter, when did the Republicans become an irrelevant opposition, or at least a useful opposition for the Democrats to paint them as something else? And that would be about 1936, in the election of 1936. And that's because by that point, the Republicans had generally accepted the New Deal. Uh, now, they didn't... 1937, you get the Conservative Manifesto, and you have some Southern Democrats, Democrats, and then some Republicans get on board with attacking Roosevelt's spending programs. But generally, the Republican Party, particularly the establishment, had accepted the New Deal. And so, from that point forward, you look at the Republicans as just soft New Dealers. It didn't mean the Democrats wouldn't paint them as a massive, uh, you know, a massive detriment to the American economy because they want to cut everything. They want to cut granny. They want to cut out social welfare. They want to cut out all this stuff and put people on the streets. It became a useful foil for the Democrats. You go back to the very famous election of 1948 and Dewey v. Truman, and Truman paints uh, Dewey as this massive, uh, you know. Uh, a budget hawk, right, where he's going to go in and just cut spending like crazy and everybody's going to be thrown on the streets. It wasn't true at all. Dewey didn't want to uh, to do anything like that. He was just simply going to trim around the edges a little bit and the New Deal would essentially stay in place. But this was very effective politically because it was a scare tactic. We stopped talking about the Constitution. We stopped talking about the legality of the New Deal, which was something Republicans focused on early on in 1933 as the New Deal kicked off. At that point, Republicans were attacking it from a legal standpoint. We stopped focusing on that, and of course the courts had a lot to do with that when they decided they weren't going to stop it. We stopped focusing on that, and we started focusing on, well, maybe this is bad policy. But still, we have a constitutional crisis. And so now we're at this point where we've got a battle over the debt limit. Now again, going back into the 19th century... There was some discussion among the Jeffersonians about whether the United States government should be able to borrow as much money as it could. You can even go back to the assumption scheme. So what is the assumption scheme? Let me, let me put this out in very basic terms. In the Washington administration, Alexander Hamilton, in his, in his economic proposals in the early 1790s, proposes that the United States government assume not only the debts of the old Articles of Confederation, which... Everyone just believed that was going to happen. I mean, that wasn't going to be an argument. But also the debts of the state governments, which they had racked up a tremendous amount of debt during the American War for Independence. And then even after that, there was some state debt. So you have the state debts, and several states were on the verge of bankruptcy. They were going to go out of business, so uh, supposedly. So the states started, what do they do? Well, they start printing money. They start printing money to try to get out of debt. And that creates an inflationary crisis in the states. I mean, you look at Shays' Rebellion 
And what happened in Massachusetts is they had these debts, they raised taxes, the farmers of Massachusetts say, no, nah, we're, not, we're not paying your taxes, we're not doing it, and they rise up against the state government. Even people like Sam Adams and John Hancock at that point said, well, John, Sam Adams in particular, said, well, look, you can't do that. Uh, and, and you can't say no taxation without representation because they started saying these things. These, these arguments don't work. In the 1770s, this was true. In the early 1780s, this was true because we didn't have any representation in Parliament and they kept raising taxes. But now you've elected us. And so when we raise your taxes, this is something you have to pay because you've elected us. We have representative government now. And so Sam Adams, the ardent patriot, is now seen as a statist right, in, in the state of Massachusetts. But so you have these tax revolts. And so many people in the founding generation were concerned about what would happen in the states. In fact, if you look at the, uh, the Constitution and some of the arguments that were made for it, one of the things that was said is that this is going to kill paper money. We're not going to have paper money anymore in the United States. We're not going to have this, this ability to inflate the currency as we had seen all throughout the 1770s and 80s. We just can't do it like that anymore. But of course, we know that didn't necessarily happen. We've seen inflation after that. So we've got Hamilton saying, well, what we need to do to keep to save the states is assume the debt of the states. And the Jeffersonians raised an alarm about this because it centralized power. It created an environment where you could have irresponsible spending propped up by the general government. And there have been some talk about this even recently when states have gotten into trouble. Well, the United States government should just assume the state's debt. So there's been some discussion about this very issue even in the modern era because of the, the precedent Hamilton set. And there were many Jeffersonians who thought the United States government should not have any ability to borrow any money whatsoever. That the United States government should not borrow. They should be running a balanced budget, essentially, or a surplus every single year. And how do you do that? Well, you keep spending low. You don't spend a lot of money. You keep taxes low then. And so the central government works on a very frugal budget. In fact, um, during the Jackson administration, who spoke very much like a Jeffersonian, but governed like a Hamiltonian in terms of power, uh, the United States government was debt-free. And this is because for all those years leading up to Jackson, the Jeffersonians had controlled the Congress and they had cut spending and cut spending and cut spending. And in fact, what they started doing is saying that all spending had to be uh, specific. And this is when you get to the Confederate Constitution of 1861, which was essentially drafted by Jeffersonians. It, it was very hard to spend money and very hard to borrow money. So we had a government in the South in the 1860s that was kind of the model that the Jeffersonians wanted under the U.S. Constitution. Very hard to borrow, very hard to spend. We don't have that with the U.S. Constitution. It's very easy to borrow and very easy to spend. And so what we've got is a government that knows it doesn't have enough revenue, even though it increases revenue every single year. It's not had a cut in revenue I don't even know the last time the general government had a cut in revenue. It has an increase in revenue every year, but they keep spending more every year. And that's because of baseline budgeting and all kinds of other things. So we now have this spending crisis. And it's a constitutional crisis because Biden has said, well, you know what? I've got this 14th Amendment thing. Uh, this 14th Amendment, of course, 
supposedly passed in 1868 and ratified in 18, or I'm sorry, ratified in 1868. Supposedly ratified in 1868, though I think you could argue, and historians have argued, that the amendment was never legally ratified. But we've got this thing. And so Biden is going saying, well, I can use it. I don't have to negotiate with Republicans in Congress. I don't have to do that at all. I'll just unilaterally raise the debt ceiling, and therefore we won't default on the debt. And there's actually an article about this. So let me read this. And the, the justification here is, is interesting. So this is from Just the News, which is a nice counterweight to, uh, to Drudge Report, which um, has gotten pretty bad on some things. But Just the News, uh, which the theoretically is Just the News. It says, President Joe Biden said Sunday he thinks he has the authority to end the debt ceiling standoff with Congressional Republicans by invoking the 14th Amendment. I'm looking at the 14th Amendment as to whether or not we have the authority. I think we have the authority, Biden said at a press conference in Hiroshima, Japan. The Hill reported. The question is, could it be done and invoked in time that it would not be appealed and as a consequence pass the date in question and still default on the debt? That is a question that I think is unresolved. So Biden's saying, look, I have the authority to do this. But the problem is, if I do it, it's going to be appealed, and then can it be resolved? Can the Supreme Court get involved fast enough to say whether I have the authority or not to avoid default? So what he's signaling there is that he's not, at this point, really willing to negotiate. They're playing a political game of chicken. The Democrats believe that if the United States government defaults and it creates a a messy financial situation, they can blame it all on the Republicans. And voters... If they stop getting, and so this is where the Democrats are going to play hardball, they'll make sure that the pain is felt first and foremost among their constituents. They'll make sure that uh, you know Granny doesn't get her Social Security check, and uh, they don't get their Medicaid uh, payments, and you know maybe uh, people you're getting Pell grants and other things don't get to go to school because of this, and maybe soldiers will even go after some Republican constituents. Maybe soldiers don't get paid when they should get paid. They're going to hold the paychecks because they have to pay the, the, the debt first, right? That has to be serviced first. And we've got a tremendous amount of payments on the debt every, every month. So they got to pay that first. So they're going to make sure that that at least sort of gets taken care of. Something happens there. And then everyone else is just not going to get anything. And so they're going to make sure that politically, Americans feel the pain. And that means that, well... People are going to supposedly say they're going to blame the Republicans and they're going to, they're going to, the Democrats are going to say, look, all they're worried about here is student loans and some other things, and they're just worried about hurting people. And I think, honestly, that is a smart political move. The Democrats pull it off. They're going to win that argument because Americans have become addicted to the cash. It's what I began this, this program with. They would win that political battle uh, because it would create a situation where people would miss some paychecks. And that would create a very hard situation. Now, the voters are not going to blame the Democrats because they're going to say, well, we're willing to negotiate. We're just not willing to negotiate on these social welfare things that everyone wants in America. See, we're not willing to do that. We're willing to negotiate on all kinds of things, but not that. And uh, that's going to be a winner for the Democrats. The Republicans are going to blink, I think. Maybe they don't, but I think they will because they realize the political backlash is going to be tremendous. Now, we do know there is a spending problem. I think Republicans need to highlight that. But um, 
And this is maybe the only way they can do it is by doing this. But I think the Democrats would win the political game here if this happens. Now, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe they don't. Maybe the voters will say, well, I mean, we do have a spending problem. We do have a problem in the United States. We can't afford what we're spending. We've got inflation through the roof. It's because we spend too much. Maybe Americans would come around to that to that perspective. I just don't think so. I think you've got, I mean, you look at the, the numbers in terms of polling data, and also how Democrats have performed at the polls. They generally win in the popular vote for the presidency, for example. There's more people that would align with the Democrats than the Republicans on this. I think Republicans are, uh, are facing an uphill battle in this particular argument. But does Joe Biden have the authority to do it? And this is the interesting constitutional question. This is why I said we're still facing a constitutional crisis in America. And how we look at the Constitution really is the major issue here. He said, the piece says, Biden has mauled using the 14th Amendment for the past few weeks as the deadline to avoid defaulting on the debt quickly approaches. Section 4 of the 14th Amendment states, quote, The validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law, including debts incurred for payment of pensions and bounties for services and suppressing insurrection or rebellion, shall not be questioned. Now, he's saying, well, look here, I mean, by law. So we've set all of these, we've set this this debt. This is all by law. We have to pay this stuff. And so as the executive, I have the authority because we have, by law, we have to pay this stuff. I have the authority to raise the ceiling so that we can continue to pay our debts, which by law we've incurred. This would mean, of course, he's saying by law, this would be all the money we've borrowed. And as the United States government continues to borrow money. However, by law also implies, and of course they're leaving out the next section, which gives Congress the authority to do this, right? Congress, it says, in the amendment itself, has the authority to put all of this into effect, not the executive branch. Congress has the authority. This was never designed to grant the presidency authority over the purse. And again, I'll go back to the founding generation. I'll even go to Federalist number 69, which was Alexander Hamilton. And Federalist number 69, and by the way, if you take my originalist papers class at McClanahan Academy, you would understand this. Also, if you take my forthcoming commentaries on the Constitution live class, and as I'm recording this, there's still a couple of days you can get in on that. Just go to mclanahanacademy.com get that live class. I've got a great coupon. If you're on my email list, you can get a $200 coupon, off coupon for that class. It's a live class, meaning we meet four times during uh, the month of June. And those four times, you will be live with me. You can ask me questions directly on your camera. Uh, you can, I, I will lecture directly. We'll go over some reading material that I have for you so that we can really discuss this issue of the meaning of the Constitution. And, and look, all the commentaries focus on one particular thing, and I'll get into that in the class, but um, that was it's the most important issue in American constitutional history. So get that, get that, uh, get that class, get on the email list. I mean, it's it's really uh, painless, right? I mean, it's it's uh, it's a it's a painless thing to do is get on the email list. But if you want to get the coupon, if you want to get it, uh, just use the coupon code Constitution and you get $200 off. So you can go to mclanahanacademy.com, click on the commentaries on the Constitution live class, 
and use the coupon code CONSTITUTION, get $200 off, and you get that class for $499. But I digress. If you go back to the commentaries on, or, I'm sorry, to the, to the Federalist Number 69, these are what I call the originalist papers, how the Constitution was, was argued was going to be used when it was ratified. Hamilton said, look, the real difference between the English or British monarchy and the American presidency, one of them, is that it doesn't have the power of the purse. It can't do anything with, with spending. It can't do anything with taxes. It has no power of the purse. And what what Biden is arguing here is that he has the power of the purse. The founding generation will be appalled by this to think that the president has the ability to unilaterally do something that Congress has to do. This was a legislative issue. Spending and taxes and even debt are legislative issues. If you, go, if you even think about what Hamilton did when he argued for assumption, what had to happen? He didn't say, well, we need to assume the debts and George Washington's going to do it. No, no, no. He said, this is what we should do. He presented it to Congress to do. They were the ones who could assume the debt. They were the ones who had the power of the purse, not the President of the United States. So what this would do, of course, is create an even more dangerous situation in America where we've gone more and more to an elected king. And of course, Hamilton said we should do that. In June of 1787, he said we should just elect the king, essentially, a lifetime appointment to the executive branch, and the king should have powers of the British monarch because we're going to get it eventually. Might as well skip over all the heartache and pain, and what I mean by that is all the things we've seen over the last 200 and plus years over this debate about centralization of power and what the, the presidency can and cannot do. We might as well skip over that and just go right to the king. Therefore, there's no debate. You see, this is the issue. The piece says, if Biden invokes the amendment, it would challenge the constitutionality of the debt ceiling and try to bypass Congress completely on the issue. So, again, bypass Congress, just go to executive government. We've already got it. I mean, in many ways, this is what Americans want. We don't want a Congress that really does anything. We want a presidency that does stuff. And we see it every time there's an election. You know, Donald Trump has to go in and do this, 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 rule by pen. Joe Biden does the same thing. Barack Obama, when the Republicans were being obstinate when Obama was president, well, he has a pen and a phone. He can do what he wants, you see. What Americans really want is executive government. We want it at the state level. We want it at the central and the central government, the general government. This is what we want. Americans don't want the messy process of legislative government because you don't always get your way. But you see the Jeffersonians in America, whether it was in the ratification process or then immediately after when we had the Congress and the first Congress and the second Congress, you had the Jeffersonians that were trying to block some of this headlong rush into centralization. Then you have, of course, the Confederacy, which was a Jeffersonian attack on centralization of power. You have that. So we, we've seen two distinct periods, the early 19th century when the Republicans assumed power in the Congress and the presidency, and then in the 1860s when the South seceded and created its own constitution and its own government, which is very Jeffersonian. We've seen, two, we've seen two distinct attacks on a headlong rush into centralization of power. That's it. 
Are we going to see that again? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think that there's enough Americans now to do it. Biden also said Sunday that he met with all four congressional leaders and that they would allow the nation to default on its debt. Again, why would the Democrats do this? Because they think they can win the battle politically. It's about politics for them and power. The Democrats aren't really concerned because they think in the end, they don't care if Americans feel the pain with it because if there is any pain, because, well, they, they know they're going to get votes out of it. They know and they believe, and I think they're right, that if the United States government defaults and there's pain, that they're going to get political points out of this. I mean, some of the stuff that happened when the United States government, quote unquote, shut down before was just, I mean, just silliness. Putting up barricades at sidewalks. Well, you can't walk on this property. It's federal property. Okay. And people just ran around it and did whatever. I mean, it's just stupid. Having police standing out in front of Independence Hall. You can't walk on the sidewalk in front of Independence Hall. I mean, the people that are, the police that are doing this should really reconsider their their uh, status in life. You're going to keep people off a sidewalk. I mean, how stupid. But this is the kind of stuff, there'll be a lot of political theater about this. And they are going to show people with pain. And I mean, it's going to be an interesting scenario. Last, last sentence, congressional Republicans have been fighting to increase the debt limit on the condition that the federal budget is reduced. The White House has stood firmly against the proposal. So Republicans are saying, well, we want the, uh, the debt ceiling. Yeah, we will raise it, but you got to cut spending. You got to cut spending. There has to be real cuts in spending. And of course, they're putting stuff on the table that Democrats aren't going to agree with. Republicans aren't offering to cut any spending in their areas, which would be defense, right? So we've got two parties that are addicted to spending in the general government. And how this plays out, I don't know. But certainly, I think even if Biden does this, it's going to be challenged. I can't see a scenario where the Supreme Court would agree with the Biden administration. It would just postpone the problem. It would just kick the can down the road a little bit further. Um, and so it would be challenged almost immediately if Biden does it. And then he would, be, he would hope that the Supreme Court would quickly take it up, fast track it, and get it done so that we could have a decision on it. Uh, while we're waiting on this and maybe come up with a solution in that particular period of time. Again, so it's a political solution. It's kind of like in the 1850s when we had, or the 1820s, and you kept having these 1840s, we kept having these political solutions to a real constitutional crisis. And that is the power of the general government, the territories, for example. That's what the crisis was over. It wasn't a moral crisis. It was a power about power. What kind of powers does a general government have? This is it. We're seeing that situation again play out here with the Biden administration. All right. This is a really interesting issue. We're going to see what happens. Um, we've got the default limit coming up, the debt limit ceiling coming up in a couple of weeks as I'm recording this. So um, I don't know. I mean, we're kind of in, you know, we're not in uncharted waters because the United States government has gone through this before, but maybe not in the level that it's going to see it now. I think somebody's going to blink um, I know congressional Republicans and Democrats are saying they're not going to blink on this. The Democrats, because they, the Republicans would own it. And the Republicans, because they think they're doing what they need to do to get spending under control. I mean, we'll see. Um, but at the end of the day, Biden is going to look at this as an expansion of executive power. And that would be a complete distortion of the 14th Amendment, which has been distorted in all kinds of ways. I mean, the 14th Amendment is the gift that keeps on giving. It's pretty a, a, a real problem in American history, how the 14th Amendment has completely transformed the United States government, even against 
what people said it would do when it was ratified. And that's a whole other issue. But I'll see you next time on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.